Well, as we come to God's Word, we're going to read from the book of Malachi in Malachi chapter 2 this evening. So we're in Malachi chapter 2, and we're going to read through the majority of this chapter this evening. So Malachi chapter 2, last book in the Old Testament. So if you're in Matthew, you're just a little bit too far. Flip back a couple of pages, and you'll land in Malachi, and then to Malachi chapter 2 this evening. This is God's word to us. Malachi chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. And now this abomination is for you, O priests, if you do not listen, and if you do not set your heart to honor my name, says the Lord Almighty, I will send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have already cursed them because you have not set your heart to honor me. Because of you, I will rebuke your descendants. I will spread on your faces the ophal, which in other translations is dung, from the festival sacrifices, and you will be carried off with it. And you will know that I have set with you this abomination, so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord Almighty. My covenant was with him, a covenant of life and peace, and I have given them to him. This called for reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and turned many from sin. For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge, and from his mouth men should seek instruction because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty. But you have turned from the way, and by Your teaching, you have caused many to stumble and have violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. So I have caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people, because you have not followed my ways and you have shown partiality in matters of the law. Have we not all one Father? Did not one God create us? Why do we profane the covenant of our fathers by breaking faith with one another? Judah has broken faith. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary of the Lord, the Lord loves, by marrying the daughter of a foreign god. And as for the man who does this, whoever he may be, may the Lord cut him off from the tents of Jacob, even though he brings offerings to the Lord Almighty. Another thing you do. You flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer pays attention to your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask, why? It is because the Lord is acting as the witness between you and the wife of your youth, because you have broken faith with her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not the Lord made them one? In flesh and spirit they are his, and why one? because he was seeking godly offspring. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith with the wife of your youth. I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. And I hate a man's covering himself with violence as well as with his garment, says the Lord Almighty. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith. Amen. And we thank God for his word to us and we'll think about it a little bit later on. 
This evening, please do open your Bible with me to the book of Malachi and to Malachi chapter 2 as we make our way through this uh, section of text and continue our series in the book of Malachi. So Malachi chapter 2. And this evening, as we begin into our uh, chapter this evening, we want to remember that Malachi is a love book. And you can see it there in chapter 1 and in verse 2. Remember, God speaks and he says, I have loved you. Last time we looked at Malachi chapter 1, we wanted to frame everything that we said within them words, I have loved you. And then God delivers a hard message. He's calling people back. He's calling people out of apathetic worship, out of lazy worship, not hard worship. And he's calling people back to himself that they would honor him and that they would worship him with all of their hearts and with all of their lives. See, the problem was for the people that they had become comfortable. They were not passionate. They were not committed. They were doubting the reality of God, something that can sound very familiar in our context. So we come to the second chapter, and here God calls, and he calls the people, and he calls the priests back to himself once again. And as we think about this this evening, what is going to help us think about it a little bit is how we spend our time. Time for us is valuable. What we spend our time doing tells us and it shows us who we really are, what we, what we prioritize, and what we value in life. Our time, our actions, our family, our friends, our hobbies, ourselves, what do we spend our time on? And how often our time is divided based on what we deem to deserve it. We budget our time. I deserve to spend this amount of time on me. My family deserves this amount of time. My friends, this amount of time. And depending on which friend asks, I have a lot different amounts of time, depending on how much I like them. The rugby club deserves this amount of time. Work deserves this amount of time. And church deserves a certain amount of time. And we give off, don't we, when we think that someone takes more of our time than what they should. Church on a Sunday afternoon. He was going on a little bit today, wasn't he? Taking a little bit more of my time than what I expected him to take. Perhaps you meet a friend for coffee or for breakfast, and it goes on and on and on, and it's almost afternoon, and you think, that took way too much of my time. Or perhaps it's the family member that takes too much of your time and stops you from doing what you really want to do. Demands on our time. How do we spend it? So in the midst of all of these demands that are pulling us one direction and then the other, the minister stands up, perhaps me, and says, you should be doing this and you should be doing that. And you don't know where to turn. Well, the question that unpacks this a little further for us is what does God deserve? In the midst of all of our time, what does God deserve? How much of your time, how much of your money, how much of your energy, how much of you does God really deserve? And how do we portion up this most valued resource for us? We know the answer for each of us here tonight, if we're a Christian, is that God deserves all of us. He deserves every part of us. But that piles more guilt on us. That's more time reading. That's more time praying. I don't have that time. How am I going to do this? 
how we reorientate this is we think of our lives often as having family and friends and all these different categories for our time, and church is just another one of them. Church is a little add-on. God is a little add-on to everything else that we have in a line. This evening, we must see that God is not an add-on. Instead, whenever we worship God in our hearts, he's not just something at the very edge of our life that we have to portion time to, but rather he's right in the center of our life. He's in our hearts, and then everything else that we do flows from that. So the time that we spend with friends, the time that we spend on our hobbies, the time that we spend with our families flows from God in our hearts. Not an add-on, not a bolt-on, but instead right at the center. He characterizes everything that we do, everywhere that we go, everything about us. So our faith in Jesus permeates through absolutely everything that we do. It's not just a Sunday thing. It's not just a Tuesday thing. It's not just an additional add-on, but he is everything. Now, this isn't new for our society. It's not new for our, our church here this evening to think about this. The people in Malachi chapter 2 had fallen into the same trap. They were treating God like a little bolt-on. He was just an add-on into everything else in their life. They had abandoned faithfulness, and instead they were being unfaithful. Well, tonight as we unpack this a little further, we're going to think about the people in two categories. There's the priests that we'll think about first, and then the people in general. So firstly, the priests. We'll see this at the first uh, little section of our text in chapter 2. The priests, they're meant to be the faithful people, right? They're meant to be the religious rulers. They're meant to be the holy people. If anybody's getting it right, surely it should be the priests. Surely they should know how to honor God. Surely they should know how to be faithful. Look at what they have done. They have abandoned their God. Verse 8, they have turned aside from the way. Verse 8, you have caused many to stumble by your teaching. Verse 9, you have shown partiality in matters of the law. These descendants of Levi, these people who had refused to worship the golden calf at Mount Sinai, had now abandoned their God. They had fell away from their faithful stance. It fell away from honoring the Lord. And what should they be? Well, verse 6 tells us what they should be. They should be people of true instruction. Nothing false should be on their lips. They should be walking in peace and uprightness. But they're not. They have little time for God. They do not want to offer clear instruction to the people. They do not want to speak on God's behalf. They do not want to make the difficult applications of his word. They don't want to pull people up on their sinful living. Instead, they'd rather turn a blind eye to it. They'd rather take a bribe. They'd rather be corrupt and show partiality to the rich. Their hearts had long grown cold. They didn't worship God. They didn't love Him with all of their hearts. And we can see that. Look at verse 2. If you do not listen to me, if you do not set your heart Their heart was gone. Again, at the end of verse 2, you have not set your heart to honor me. They had left the God that they loved. And they turned their back on God. 
And in translation to today, the office of the priest, how does this work out for us? Well, the office of the priest is gone because Jesus has come, and he's our ultimate high priest. But in some way, there is parallels between the office of the priest and those who minister, our ministers and those who teach. They're to speak God's word with truth. They're to declare the word of the Lord. They're to give instruction. They're to honor the Lord. They're to turn people away from sin and towards him. So this evening, as we think about our ministers and those who preach the Word of God, I wonder what we think of that. Do we think that our ministers honor the Lord in everything that they do? Do they preach the Word clearly and boldly? We can praise God because we know that here in this place, even this morning, that God's Word was preached faithfully. Hard things had to be said and were said. But slowly but surely, a progression away from God's Word happens. It happens here slowly but surely. It's been a hundred years since the people have come back from exile. They've built the temple. All seem to be going okay for them. And then they fall into this slow pattern of apathy. Comfortable. Not trusting God. It didn't happen overnight. The priest didn't suddenly wake up one morning and think, I'm not going to honor the Lord. I'm not going to preach His Word. But rather it was slow. They were comfortable. That comfortableness spread apathy, and that apathy bred unfaithfulness. What's a great danger for us in our context? Getting way too comfortable. So then apathy comes, and then unfaithfulness follows. And do we see the seriousness here of what God says? Verse 3, I will rebuke your descendants. His judgment will be upon them. I will spread on your faces Dung. In the Bible, God says, I will spread on your face dung. The insides of the animals and all their excrement that have been offered as sacrifices, and you'll be carried off and put on that heap, and you will be despised and humiliated. See, tonight, For those who preach God's Word, for those who teach God's Word, if it's in the pulpit or if it's in Sunday school or if it's in Holiday Bible Club or in PW or BB or GB or Scouts or Jelly Tots or Relate or whatever organization it is that meets in this place, if we preach God's Word, if we teach God's Word to people, we must be passionate about it. We can't be apathetic. We must be faithful to God's Word seeking always to tell people the good news of the gospel and explain it, not to shy away from the truth of Scripture. We're to be faithful to God. Why? Because He is faithful to us. That's what He's calling here to the priests. Look, I have been faithful to your forefathers, and I will be faithful to you. Please honor me. Please teach my word clearly. Please tell the people what they need to hear. And as a congregation tonight, can I encourage you to never, ever settle for less. Don't settle for teaching that is not faithful. Do not settle for teaching that is not Christ-centered, God-glorifying, spirit-empowered, Trinitarian, that isn't gospel-focused. Never, ever settle for less. So those who teach God's Word should do it with clarity and bravery, accuracy and faithfulness. But that wasn't the case. There were faithless priests. Then what about the people? 
we move on and we think about them. Well, often as people, we have a mentality, don't we, to push things as far as we can push them, to try and get away with as much as we can as possible. We try and push the boundaries. I don't know if this was a thing in Lurgan, in Portadown, whenever I was going to school, for some strange reason, if you were a fella, it was really cool to have your pocket ripped off your shirt. I don't know if that was a thing. Was it a thing? No, not in Lurgan. Just in Portadown, all right? Well, it seemed to be a thing. If you, if you had your shirt pocket ripped off, it was almost like a badge of honor. So everybody started ripping their own shirt pockets off. And then what happened? The inevitable. I came home, I had my shirt washed and ironed, and mum said, where did your pocket go? <laughs> and I said, mum, mum, all the third year boys are doing it, everybody's doing it, and you blame, don't, uh, you pass the blame on. If somebody else is doing it, it's okay. As if mum was concerned about the third year boys ripping their pocket off, she just thought I'd ruined my own shirt. And it's the same for us in many different aspects of life. We see someone doing it, and we think it's okay for us. So in this context, the people look at the priests, and they see that the priests are being unfaithful. There's no real time for the Word of God. They're not taking the Word of God seriously. They're not provoking people. They're not speaking it clearly in their lives. So then the people, they also become apathetic. Their leaders aren't passionate about it, so why should they be? And the people start to zone out, and they start to become faithless as well. Verse 10. We see it. They're unfaithful to God. They are unfaithful to each other. Verse 11, they're unfaithful in who they marry. And in verse 14, they're unfaithful in marriage itself. You see, the apathy of chapter 1 in their worship has now transcended through all of their life. God was not number one in their hearts. God didn't even have their hearts. He was at best a little bolt on. They're coming along and giving their, their second or third or fourth best animal as a sacrifice. That'll do God rightly. And then we'll go and we'll, we'll pursue other things. We'll pursue ourself. We'll self-indulge. So instead of living as people of peace, as covenant people, as people who honor one another, who honor relationships and promises, they're people of disorder. They're people of self-indulgence. So let's just step through a couple of these. They have no faithfulness to their brothers and sisters, verse 10, in the community. They are faithless to one another. They simply don't care about each other's lives. They're not keeping one another accountable. They are not concerned with encouraging or spurring one another on. Not encourage, or they're not trying to encourage one another to honor the Lord. And similarly for us, we must pay attention to this. Are we being faithful in our relationships here in this place? We want to be a place here at Hill Street that honors the Lord, that it worships Him with all of our hearts, that cares for one another. So we see the person in the pew, and we know that's what's going on in their hearts, and that we can pray for them can draw alongside them and spur them on, encourage them and uplift them, then we can be faithful to them. What about a baptism whenever we stand here in this place? Perhaps a little one comes along to be baptized, and we promise as a congregation to bring that little one up in the ways of the Lord, to encourage them here, to pray for them, to disciple them. There was no faithfulness to each other here in Malachi chapter 2. 
Then moving on, what about faithfulness in who they would marry? Verse 11, there was no faithfulness here. There was no faithfulness in their singleness. There was no faithfulness in who they would pick as a partner. Here we see that they are taking foreign wives from outside of Israel. Now, this is not a racist thing. This is not the Bible making a racist comment. It's a comment all to do about who the people worship. These women, they were foreign women who did not worship the one true God. They worshiped other gods. And here, their word comes to the people and says, do not pick foreign wives. Men, do not pick foreign wives who do not worship our God because they will lead you away. They will lead you astray. So, young Christian man here tonight in our congregation, whenever you look for a potential wife, what is the first question that you ask? I trust that it will be, is she faithfully following Jesus? In a relationship then, do you honor her? Are you spiritually trying to help her? And Christian woman tonight, if you are looking for a husband, will you settle with someone who does not worship our God? Will you settle with someone who doesn't worship him with all of their heart and soul and mind and strength? Perhaps you're thinking of entering in a relationship with someone who doesn't know Jesus as Savior, and tonight you're a Christian. Can I encourage you to run away from that? Be faithful to God. Be faithful to Him in your singleness. Flee from your self-indulgent passions and desires and strive after holiness. Malachi chapter 2, that is not happening. There is no faithfulness to God. Then what about those who are actually in marriage? Verse 14, we see it. The men are breaking the covenant of marriage. They are being unfaithful. Marriages are ending in divorce. And God speaks judgment and says clearly that he hates divorce. Now note what God is saying here. He's not saying that he hates divorced people. But he's saying that he hates divorce. He hates the family to be broken up. He hates this union that he has put together to be broken up. He wants to bless He wants people to be faithful. He wants to be able to have people who will have children to raise them up in godliness. He wants the family and the marriage to reflect something of the beauty of his grace and of his love. So Christian husband tonight, why would you want to get to know that lady in work? Why would you think it's a good idea to tax that lady outside of the work hours? Why have you started to imagine what life would be like with another woman? Brother, can I encourage you tonight to turn away from sin and to turn to God? Do not entertain it. Instead, look at what God has given you and be thankful for that. Put your energy and your attention back into your wife. Remember the vows, hold her, from this day forward, for better and for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, till death do you part. And Christian wives this evening, be faithful to your husbands. 
communicate with him, love him, trust him, honor him, run from temptation, be strong in your resolve. Again, remember your vows. Hold your husband from this day forward for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish until death do you part. Brothers and sisters who are married this evening, be encouraged. Be faithful in your marriage. Faithful to God, faithful to each other. So the conclusion of all of this passage in chapter 2, Malachi chapter 2, is this, that the thing's a mess. The religious leaders, it's a mess with them. They're corrupted. They're not worshiping God. Their hearts are cold. The people, well, the people might as well have left the God that they have loved. They're going through the motions of offering him some little lame sacrifice, but they don't actually love him. They're chasing after sin. They're chasing after self-indulgence. The young men of the generation are not being faithful to God. Their husbands are not being faithful to their wives. There's faithlessness everywhere. Why? Because they thought of God as just an add-on. As we draw to a close tonight, to live a faithful life means that you will worship God with all of your heart. If you want to live a faithful life, it means that you will worship God with all of your heart. Look at verse 2. Set your heart to honor my name. Set your heart to honor it. In the midst of this broken routine of worship, in the middle of the corrupt and unpassionate leaders, in the midst of the broken relationship between friends, in the midst of people abandoning their faith of their forefathers, in the midst of the brokenness of marriage, the broken hearts, the pain of all of that, the selfishness, the self-gratifying culture, the amount of children that are heartbroken, the amount of marriages that have ended in brokenness. Here in this, look at verse 5. What is God's covenant? What is God's answer to all of this brokenness, to all of this faithlessness? God's answer is this. Look back again, verse 5, to my covenant, the covenant that I gave to you. Not that you had to earn it, but I came and I gave it to you. A covenant of what? A covenant of life covenant of peace. Then we hear that Levi came and he was reverent before the Lord and he revered him. He feared the Lord. And what did he do? Verse 5, he stood in awe of God's great name. Tonight, what do we need to do in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our sinfulness, in the midst of our faithlessness towards our God, Look again towards his covenant, his covenant of life and his covenant of peace. No more trouble, no more restlessness. He offers us life, the life giver, the peace giver, the one who we can stand in awe of and honor his name, who our hearts can be warmed and passionate for. And in Malachi chapter 2, this is all before Jesus. And yet God's calling them to be faithful. And for us, Jesus has already come. And we know him, the one who would rescue, the one who would mend, the one who would heal, the one who would restore what was promised. We stand the other side of Calvary. And we look back and we gaze into that empty tomb and we know that Jesus lives. 
And we stand with the power of the Holy Spirit on us, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And we stand with the assurance of life. Romans 8, 29 to 30, Paul says this, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of a son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Friends, tonight we stand this side of Calvary. And our call is to be faithful. Why? Because we see the love of our great Savior, Jesus Christ. In the midst of our unfaithfulness, in the midst of our brokenness this evening, in the midst of our hearts wanting to run after sin, can we see that empty grave? The cross in the distance. And know that Jesus came here to save us. Remember chapter 1, verse 2, I have loved you. So friends, whatever situation you're in tonight, whatever faithlessness has grabbed your heart, no matter how long you've run away, run, ran away from the Lord, no matter how long you've turned away from him, his covenant of life and of peace is here in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he offers it to you. I have loved you. Don't rebel against him. Don't kick against him any longer. Brother and sister, let us come and stand in awe and honor God's name because even in the midst of our awful, sinful brokenness, he sent the Son to bear the punishment that we deserve. And he shed his blood to cover our sin. He bought us back. He redeemed us and he rose victorious over sin and he conquered death for us. So as we go from here this evening, and as we think about time, and as we think about what does God deserve, he deserves our hearts. He deserves our all because he has given us life in and through his son. We'll go into the world this week, and perhaps you'll go back into that situation of temptation. Perhaps you'll go back into a situation where you will be tempted to be faithless, to be unfaithful to God. William Still, great Scottish minister, said this, it is impossible to be faithful to Jesus Christ and not incur the opposition of the world. It's impossible to be faithful to Jesus Christ and not incur the opposition of the world. So as we go this week, bear one another up. Please pray this week for one another as brothers and sisters that our hearts would honor Jesus, that we would stand in awe of him and that we would live faithful lives because our God is a covenant-keeping God and he has sent us his only son to give us life and to give us peace and to give us forgiveness. As we close now, we're going to bow in a moment of prayer before we stand and sing. We're going to sing Amazing Grace. How appropriate is that hymn for us this evening? Broken people, people who don't deserve it, but God's amazing grace poured out upon us. And as we pray, let us pray that God would help us by His Spirit to live for Him. Let us unite our hearts in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your word to us. Lord, your word is sharp. Lord, your word convicts us. 
We look back at Malachi chapter 2, and we wonder how all of this could happen, how the priests could leave you, how the people could leave you. And yet we look at our own hearts, and we see it here in this very place, and we see it inside of ourselves. Father, we do not give you what you deserve, and we are sorry for that this evening. Father, we have been unfaithful to you. Please forgive us. Father, we ask that tonight that you would call people back to yourself. Father, help us to know the forgiveness, the life, and the peace in Jesus Christ that we have. And Father, help each one of us, brothers and sisters in the Lord, to honor you, to be faithful to you. Father, that our hearts would sing and tell people of the goodness of your name. Please be with us by the power of your Spirit. We pray it all in Jesus' strong name. Amen.